There's a new music business for the 21st century, and now is the best time ever to be in the music business. Because in the new music business, the artist is in charge. My name's Rick Barker, and I've been blessed to make a living in the music business for almost 30 years. I'm a personal manager, author, speaker. Many know me as the manager who launched the career of Taylor Swift. But what I'm most proud of are the thousands of artists from around the world that I manage daily and help navigate this crazy business. This podcast is designed to keep you up to date with the changes in the business and to give you the mindset, tools, and resources that you need to succeed. Helping you navigate the music industry, here's Rick Barker with the Music Industry Blueprint Podcast. On today's episode of the podcast, I'm super excited because not only do I get to share uh, a unique thing that an artist is doing in the podcast world, but we also get to talk a little bit about what it's like to be an artist in the new music business model from someone who was also an artist in the traditional uh, business model. Today, my guest is Lauren Lucas. Now, a little bit about Lauren. I was first introduced to Lauren uh, basically in 2000, I think in three, when I was a program director uh, at Crazy Country in Santa Barbara. She was an artist who was signed to Warner Brothers. And one of the first things that happens when an artist gets signed is they go out on a radio tour. Uh, usually they go out, build all these relationships, and hopefully come ad day, uh, all those radio stations that they visited will go ahead and add their music. Well, Lauren was never a part of the radio tour that got out to me, but her music was shared with me. And what I loved about her music at that time was that it still had that kind of traditional feel to it. You know, there was at that time, it was Carrie Underwood, Miranda Lambert, Faith Hill, all these big screamers and kind of the anticipation you knew in that song when they were going to hit that high note. It was like, here it comes, here it comes. Like, okay, I got it. With Lauren, it wasn't like that. There was this strong voice but for me, it was more of a storyteller voice. So Lauren, welcome to the podcast. And let's talk about that. You know, let's talk about you in your teenage years, what it is you always wanted to do, how that record deal came about. And then we're going to kind of transition into the shifts that you had to make from being a signed artist to being an independent artist. And then kind of what you're doing today is you're, you know, independent artist, also entrepreneur and speaker of truth. You know, I think that's what kind of makes it cool. So tell everyone a little bit about yourself and kind of your journey up to that Warner Brothers deal. Yeah, well, first of all, thank you for having me on the podcast. I'm a fan, I'm a podcast junkie, and yours is one that I listen to a lot. Um, and so I'm pleased, pleased to be here. Um, and I also loved hearing your perception of my music back in 2003. I, I knew that you had mentioned you enjoyed it, but I didn't know like the storyteller piece, which is really cool, because that that certainly is where I think I've grown even more into that. So that was interesting. Um, so I started singing when I was three years old in community theater. I'm from South Carolina. Um, I was always, on, you know, I was on the pageant circuit, the festival circuit. I had a cover band, a country cover band um, in high school. But even prior to high school, because of all of the performing I was doing, I was going to New York, I was auditioning for Broadway, Star Search at the time. Um, I, I was just a musical theater geek and a country music lover. 
And so when I was 11 years old, I was invited to sing on the Grand Ole Opry for the Grand Ole Gospel Hour, which is no longer a segment that they do. But Reverend Jimmy Snow and his wife Dottie invited me at 11 years old. I sang one day at a time. And I was invited back, <clears throat> excuse me, the next year to, to sing again. And that really set me onto the country music path as far as the music business. Um, when I was, I started meeting managers and producers and, you know, my parents spent way too much money on demos. And when we got taken by some, you know, sharks out there and we got the, the full experience yeah. and, uh, you know, I was still going to school in South Carolina, still, still there, you know, being a, a kid as well. But when I was around 15, <clears throat> just some, you know, how it works, you know how it is. It's like when you get in the mix, you can't help but then meet someone and meet someone and meet someone. Sure. And so um, Pat McMakin at the time was heading up the studio at Sony, what was, it's then called Sony ATV Tree, uh, basically Sony Publishing, one of the largest publishers in the right. world. And Leanne Rimes had just hit big and everyone else in town was looking for their teenager for their roster. Does this sound like a familiar story, Rick? All right. <laughs> so um, I was signed, Donna Hilly, uh, who was a legendary uh, woman publisher in town, um, signed me to my very first production and publishing deal at Sony ATV Tree. Um, at the same time, I auditioned via videotape for an off-Broadway musical and got cast in that, and I relocated to Houston for a few months. Um, and so I was, I ended up getting an offer from um, RCA Records to do a development deal, which meant they gave us some money to go in and cut, I think, three sides in the studio. Yeah. Um, I also was doing the show in Houston. Um, I was with Sony until you know, from 15 till I graduated high school, I think even into my first year at, at Belmont, I ended up moving to Nashville, going to Belmont University, um, majoring in music. Um, and so between all that time, I did not get the RCA full-blown record deal. They signed a different teenager. Um, I did get an opportunity to write a song for the director that did the off-Broadway show, ended up adapting the 1981 hit country film, Urban Cowboy. Right. In the Broadway musical, and I ended up writing a song that got into the musical that was nominated for a Tony Award. So a lot happened uh, in that time. Um, so I went to I went to Belmont, got my education. Uh, an adjunct professor of mine, who is now an Opry singer, Melody Crittenden, um, introduced me to Biff Watson, who ended up producing me and taking me to Warner Brothers. And so um, I had a, a um, a deal memo on the table from Warner Brothers when I crossed the stage to get my diploma at Belmont. And so let's let's unpack a little bit of this. So so for for a lot of times what will happen with publishers and labels is they'll sign you to what you had mentioned that production uh, and kind of like a little pub deal. And basically what what it means is that they're going to put you with writers, they're going to fund the operation and then they get to decide whether they want to do anything with these songs that's the same thing that happens in these development deals at uh the record companies you know taylor was signed to a development deal at rca as well and they just she felt they weren't developing her you know that's kind of why she left it's kind of like she was lost over there it's like the record companies have their focus it's 
who's bringing in the money right now gets the primary focus. And then there's these little outliers that if something pops or something hits, uh, then they may consider signing you to a full-on deal. Uh, what's interesting is you brought up Biff Watson. There was a time in Nashville that with the right producer, they could walk you into any label and get you signed. I mean, it was just happening, you know, left and right. That's kind of how it either, it was back then when, when attorneys could walk you in and get you deals, producers, mm -hmm. if you were working with a certain producer, there were about eight of them, you were almost guaranteed to get your shot. So Biff walks you in. You're crossing the stage, getting your diploma as you're getting this record deal. What was going through your mind as someone who had been shooting for this for a while? Were you going to be rich? Were you instantly going to be famous? What was the thought process? Because now I'm signed to a major label. All these magical things are going to happen. So let's talk about your mindset there and then actually what took place. Yes. So, you know, when you just mentioned that Taylor had a development deal in RCA and felt like they weren't developing her. I wish I had adopted that perspective. Mm -hmm. Instead, my perspective, I never really cared about the rich part. I wanted to be known, well-respected for what I do um, and famous as a teenager. That's what I wanted. Sure, absolutely. Um, and I saw every development deal, every publishing deal, every record deal that I got at that time as an award. You know, I grew up in the pageants. I grew up at festivals. Sure. I grew up in talent contests. It's like, I got the award. They want me. They gave me the contract. That was the thing, right? right. That's the thing I was going for, right, mom and dad? Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and, and every, you know, a lot of people around me were saying, this is when the hard work starts. And I was never afraid to work and I was working hard. Um, but mentally, I just wasn't, I didn't view it as this is a partnership. Uh, yes, I'm. Yes, I don't have the leverage because I'm the newbie. And also, what what is it that you're going to do for me? And how are we working together? And what am I getting from this? And that never entered. You know, it was like I got the award. Sure. Now, now, what's the next thing? So that was my mentality. Interesting. Yeah. So you get signed to a label, and then what is the process leading up to first release? What is the the process of you know getting pitched for tours? Mm -hmm. What is the process of becoming a priority? Like, wow, this is our our baby. This is the one that we're going to put everything into. Did you get that feeling? Did you, What was that process going through to, okay, now you've signed the deal and now the work begins. What was that work? Because a lot of people are curious. A lot of people want the record deal, you know, but then they don't understand the other things that go along with it. So being able to hear this from you is awesome. So you got the record deal. Now, what's the next step? What happens now? So at the very at the very beginning, um, there was a huge mass exodus of the A&R team. Um, there were a lot of changes happening. Jim Ed Norman was stepping down. Paul Worley, who signed me, was taking uh, the helm, but temporarily. It was always supposed to be temporary. Um, and that mass exodus was okay for me sucked for some people of course sure. okay for me because i paul signed me and he was the guy moving person in. was still there yeah and so i was actually fast-tracked in the very very beginning and things were now i hadn't recorded my record yet you know i mean like 
it, it was as a, at the very, very, very beginning stages. So um, I recorded my record at Blackbird Studio. I, you know, they were taking me to the CMA Awards and the BMI Awards and all the things, and it's so much fun. And, um, you know, and so now fast forward, however long that took, maybe a year. Uh-huh. I can't remember that long sure. ago now. Um, I was writing for my record. I didn't write everything on my record, but I co-wrote a good portion of it. Um, which that's another story. I thought, you know, I actually started, you know, when I was at Sony, that was in the 90s where you could sneeze and money would come out. Like it was sure. just, I got to experience that peak of country music in this town. Right. Um, but, you know, fast forward to 2003, 2004, I thought, oh my gosh, now I have a record deal. I have a deal memo on the table. I'm going to call all my publisher people I've met and let them know so that someone's going to want to sign me to a publishing deal just because I thought that was the thing to do. I mean, there was not a lot of logic to it at the time. And nobody wanted to do that. And so now fast forward about six months in or so, I've written half my record. Paul invites everybody over to Warner Brothers to hear the tracks we have so far so that they can pitch us more to complete the record or put me with their writers to complete the record. And two or three of those publishers that didn't want to sign me when I first called them came up and wanted to talk to me about publishing deals then. And I had a chip on my shoulder about it and was like, no, I'm keeping my publishing because I've written my record. Yeah. Good for you because it's, it's (laughs) the same. It's that it's common. It's like, everyone wants to wait and see. And it's like, you want true believers. You want people that want you for you, you know, that you want people and part of it's ego for all of us, but we want people to say, you know what? I believe in what it is that she's doing. I've seen her as this. So you decided that you were going to keep your publishing because at that point you don't need an advance. You've just signed the deal with the label. So you probably That's got right. an advance there. That's right. So what people don't understand advances are loans, That's which right. means you're paying this back based on. So if you sign with a publishing company and they give you money and they own a percentage of your song, you're not able to get that percentage back from them until you recoup. And then after a certain hour or a certain number of years or whatever the contract states, you're like, screw it. I'm going to own my own publishing and I'm going to keep 100% of it. And I, because you will always own your rider share, just so you guys know, you will always own your rider share unless you choose to NFT it to somebody or whatever's <laughs> happening today. <laughs> But you will, that, always, <laughs> you will always own your writer share. The publishing share is what sometimes people will negotiate with. Right. And basically, you're going to negotiate with it because you either need money or connections. Uh, a lot of times, uh, this happens more often than not, is that a famous artist will come in and they won't write any other song, but they'll ask for some of the publishing on it in order to cut it because they know that you're not going to make money without them cutting it. And there's a, a lot of that stuff happening. So you you meet with these publishers, you say, screw it, I'm going to keep it myself. And when does when when will are they going to set up that single? When are they going to choose the single? And when are you going to officially get your release? So let me just add one more thing there, if you don't mind, yeah, which is please. on paper, mathematically and financially had i hit big betting on myself about my publishing would have been the thing to do sure what i experienced was you know fast forward two years later or so i was getting off the label without an album being released which i'll explain here in just a moment and also without a big team around me 
for the next step. So when I did that, I didn't realize I was also kind of putting myself on an island a little bit sure. and isolating myself. So from a relational business point of view, I actually look back on that and go, I don't necessarily regrets too strong of a word because had it worked, it would have been awesome. Sure. But mm, I, things would have turned out a lot differently if I had had a team still around me with a public, a publisher team, you know? Sure. Cause so then anyway. for people that don't know, let's say, as we're not going to spoil what's about to take place, but <laughs> you have this pile of songs that somebody else has ownership in. They're more entitled to go work those songs, pitch those songs, do everything we can. We call it exploiting the copyright mm -hmm. with Lauren being on her own and maintaining herself without those relationships. Now she's just holding on to a bunch of songs that she wrote okay. that it's, it's that would you rather have a little bit of something or a hundred percent of nothing and basically at that time you felt like you had a hundred percent of nothing because you okay. excluded the people into your world okay now okay so what i can't, honestly can't remember the timeline very well but let's say another six to eight months go by maybe i've completed the record um we're starting to um talk about singles um gosh i really don't even remember the decision making process very well about my first single, but it was a song written by Marcus Humman and Tom Shapiro called What You Ain't Gonna Get, up-tempo, sassy, yep. very, like very in line with kind of what I was going for, frankly. I was, you know, kind of Winona meets Keith Urban was kind of yeah. what I kept saying to Biff where I wanted to be. Um, and they took me on a radio tour, you know, before the official drop date for the single so I could meet uh, radio. Um, I had a big CRS showcase, country radio seminar showcase here in Nashville. Yep. Um, and so, you know, that was my first experience on a tour bus. Um, I was playing guitar for myself some of the time. I remember Bruce Wallace, I would hire Bruce to come out and play guitar with me as well, occasional band dates. But I was, I mean, I remember traveling sometimes on that big bus with the radio promoter from the label and myself. And, um, you know, that was, it was a blast. I loved it. I loved doing sure. that. I loved meeting radio. Um, and then I would get a few, um, a few opportunities to do like a, a festival or fair or the biggest thing that I remember. Uh, well, there are a couple of things. I got to open for Lone Star. I remember getting to open um, uh, Blake Shelton and Rascal Flatts co-build in uh, Rascal Flatts hometown in Ohio. And I was like the third opener. Uh, for that. Um, I got to travel with Blake occasionally because he was my label mate. So he and I did some radio visits together. This uh, was back in the mullet days of Blake Shelton. Oh, full on mullet. Like I could show you, I could share a picture with you. Like, oh, yes. Full on mullet. Cowboy hat, the whole thing. Um, and so, um, so that was awesome. But I will also say before your record's out, you don't, they don't give you, they did order t-shirts and some stickers, like bumper stickers, but you don't have merch really to sell. No, That's the merch is to give away to the radio station people that by the way, is going on her tab. That nice bus she talks about is going on her tab. Yeah. The, like, the dinners that the radio, that the promoter yeah. is buying for the radio people is going on her tab. So she's accumulating this bill that they hope to recoup from the sale of her records. That was a time when the record companies weren't owning part of the publishing yet. They hadn't started creating publishing companies because when Lauren said you could sneeze money, 
that was back when they were still trying to sell CDs for 20 bucks a pop with three songs on it. And they would take, at the time, it was Faith Hill's money and some of the other bigger stars at Warner Brothers to support Blake Shelton and Lauren and artists like that. So she's accumulating this bill. And if she doesn't get a single released and that single doesn't go up the charts and do what they feel it should, she may never get her album released. They will end up letting go of the artist, writing it off as a loss and moving on to the next person. So we're trying to figure out a single for you. You're out doing radio. Do they decide on a single and a release date? Yes. So they, we do a single, we have a release date. Um, I can't remember how high it went up the chart, but I've, I feel like I was just about to break into like one of the milestones, maybe top 100 or something. And then um, a regime change was happening around that time. But by, by the time I got signed and was fast tracked and Paul wanted to play all this stuff for the publishers and he wanted to sign me and all the things to the time my single was getting released officially, like through the at basically the start of my radio tour, there were murmurs of a regime change. And Paul ended up going down to head of A&R instead of the, the big head kahuna yeah. and brought someone in from LA to run the Nashville office. And just like what happened when I first arrived, there was a mass exodus, including the head of radio at the time, uh, the radio department at the time yeah. at Warner. And um, they- that Gator? No, it was David Haley. David Haley, okay. Yep, Gator ended up taking his position. Okay. And um, they didn't even talk to my manager. I remember sitting in Fido Coffee Shop with my manager, we were having a meeting and he got a call and he said, they just flipped your single. They just called every radio station in town and told them to stop playing what you ain't gonna get and start playing the Carolina kind. They never told us, they never asked us, there was no strategy meeting. It was like, this is just the thing we're gonna do. And- I hope you guys heard that. She had no say on any of this. That goes back to when I tell you that when you sign a record deal, you are an employee. Hmm. You are not a partner. There's not much that you have say so over. So you're being told after the fact mm -hmm. that they flipped the single. Yeah, that, that David Haley's out by the way, and we flipped her single. <laughs> so um, that was kind of the beginning of the end that, you know, radio went, y'all don't seem real sure about what you're doing with this person. And this isn't what you like toured her around with. And got so us excited about. Her. Right. So it just kind of, fizzled. And then the guy that came over from LA didn't, wasn't the guy that signed me. And he felt the train had left the station already because my radio tour had already been set up and the single had already been out and he didn't get a say so or a thumbprint on it. And he had no interest and he was interested in signing all the other people who then he went ahead and signed. Sure. That he would have a relationship with, that he would have stake in the game with that. He, a lot of these times when they make those changes, they want to go to battle with the people that they bring in. So if they lose, they lost with their people, not right. with someone else's. And at this point, Lauren was an expense. Mm -hmm. There was this couple hundred thousand dollars or more that had accumulated for this radio tour. And now they've decided to flip singles. And now you have to go back out again sometimes and rebuild those relationships and rebuild that excitement. And they just weren't willing to take the chance, it sounds like. That's right. So I, I sat there for another year or so, maybe even two, 
Um, and I remember asking Paul, like, can I get off the label? And he, he said, no, no, no. He said, don't, not yet. Let's keep trying. So basically what happened was then I was put in a situation where I had to almost, even though I was signed to the roster, it felt like I had to, every day I was re-auditioning for my place to be there. Right. <laughs> You know, by going back out and looking for more songs, we went back in the studio and cut a few more singles so that hopefully this new guy felt like he was a part of the process, even though the record was already done technically. And, you know, and then, but nothing was as good and nothing was good enough. And there was, there was just no support. Right. No emotional rah-rah. And what, speaking of emotions, what emotions are you going through at this time? I mean, knowing that you're kind of handcuffed, knowing that you're, the booking agents aren't really interested at that point because they want artists that have singles that are coming out on the radio. Right. So you're not booking shows, you're not playing shows. This was back before social media was a big thing. You know, MySpace was hanging out, but this was before it was a big thing. Emotionally, what are you feeling at that point? I was incredibly frustrated, really frustrated. And, and really feeling kind of hopeless because I was powerless. It was like nothing I was doing seemed to, I was writing constantly. I was playing local shows. I was still playing with my band at 12th and Porter, which no longer exists, you right. know, you know, all these places because I love to do it. That's what I do. That was the first um, place, by the way, that I met her live. She was actually <laughs> uh, singing background for Randy Hauser. Yep. Which happened after I left Warner. Yep. yep. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it was frustrating and just very powerless feeling because there you were just at the mercy of all these people's opinions and yet tied up in a contract because you're already on the roster. Right. So it's it's just a very stuck feeling. So when did you get the, the call that we're going to move in a different direction and you're no longer part of that plan? It was it was over a year after they had flipped the single and things had fizzled. So at this point, you've been signed for a couple years mm -hmm. and no nothing so for it. glamour, <laughs> all the things that everyone thinks going to happen once they sign that record deal. None of this stuff was happening. Yeah, I got a tiny taste of it here and there. Sure. I went to Las Vegas for the ACMs, got nominated for CoverGirl. Um, fresh face of country music with Miranda sure. and Amy Daly, you know, a few super fun things. Yeah. And, and I will say this when it comes to like everything from Spotify playlists to my BMI statements for Muzak or, um, I mean, you can't, you cannot beat the machine as far as the longevity of, of their thumbprint, like that right. most of my income, well, not most, but I still get, statements and money because of what you ain't going to get or the Carolina kind being placed on Warner Brothers sponsored playlists or right. music or whatever it is that they have their back catalog doing now. Sure. Um, I mean, you just, you can't beat that. It's a little bit bigger chunk because you kept the publishing, right? Well, yeah, I did. I did co-write Carolina kind. Unfortunately, I didn't write what you ain't going to get, but, um, but still, you know, absolutely. you just, when it works, it works and you can't beat the heavy lift of that big machine. Sure. But, um, but there, you know, there are a lot of ways that that shiny record deal can go. <laughs> so the record deal ends and you get the call. Do you immediately, you and your manager start trying to shop for a, another deal? No, in fact, 
well, I was getting pressure internally from the label that my manager may, maybe wasn't the right fit. And I listened and I, that is a regret. He and I have rekindled our relationship over the last few years. And in fact, I just saw him over Christmas. Um, this is someone I met from my first trip in Nashville when I was 11 on the Opry, by the way. And he wanted to take, he was encouraging me to take a very grassroots approach sure. and do a lot of the things, frankly, that, you know, the digital age hadn't quite dawned yet, but you know, a lot of the things that I'm doing now, he was encouraging me to do then. And I just didn't understand. I, I just, I was 22. I had just had all these, some glamorous experiences on a major deal like this was supposed to look so different. And now you're wanting me to do the grassroots thing. And like, it just did not compute. Sure. <laughs> it just didn't. Sure. And, and that was happening for a lot of people. They couldn't understand the changes. And luckily for me, Taylor and I were coming out at that time where we were all about grassroots. We were all about, we're not waiting for anyone. We know we're not a priority yet. We haven't earned the right to be a priority yet, but here's all these tools and resources that are available to us. So we're just going to take them. You know, when I share with people that she had a gold record before she had a top 20 single, a lot of people forget that. Mm -hmm. They forget that radio had to catch up to her because they didn't know what to do with her. You right. know, it was like, because a lot of labels had tried that teenager thing and they were just like, you know, we're a format for 40 year old women. Why are we bringing teenage girls in there that have never experienced anything? And it wasn't fair, you know, because emotions are emotions, no matter how old you are, right? you know, but they were set in their ways. So you and the manager parted. We parted. The label convinced you to get rid of your manager. Which and, then and then dropped me. <laughs> and then dropped you. So now you really don't have a team. Right. right. And it's hard to go get a new manager when you've just been dropped from a label. A lot of other labels will, will look at it and say, well, it didn't work over there. And they put money and resources. It's probably not going to work over here. There wasn't a lot of jumping around like there is now because mm -hmm. of Spotify and the other options. Like, oh, it didn't work there. Great. Come on over. Yeah. You know, it's like now it's common to walk out the door and walk right into the next door. But now more artists are saying, hey, I'm walking out the door and I'm staying independent. Yeah. Because yeah. now I have the resources to get to the fans. Now I can get my own distribution. I can hire all the, the things that were given to me at the label, which actually I was getting charged for, heck, I could just go hire people myself and keep 100%. Instead of giving the label 85, why don't I be 85 and use that 15 that I was getting to outsource mm -hmm. all these other products and things like that? So now we're going to fast forward. You were out of it for a little while. You kept writing. You kept doing the artist thing. Yeah, actually... I, I ended up recutting the Carolina kind since Warner Brothers owned that master. They did not own the publishing. So I recut the Carolina kind because that song was so important to me being from South Carolina. Um, I recut it for an independent EP that I ended up putting out. Now, let me ask you this. Did you have a re-record clause that you had to wait for a certain amount of time in order to re-record any of the songs that were on the album or were you able to do it immediately? Good question. Obviously, you were able to do it whenever you did it because they didn't sue you and ask for anything. That's back. right. So whenever it was was kosher, but I don't remember what. The so just so you guys know, the whole re-record is what Taylor Swift just did with all of her original records 
that were on Big Machine. Most of the time when you leave a record contract, it says you cannot re-record these songs. And usually it's a five-year period on it. Because what they don't want is Lauren to say, hey, okay, Warner Brothers, you didn't want me. I'm going to go over here to Sony and we're just going to re-record these songs and then they're going to put them out. And the record company's like, wait, we have all this money invested in the masters of these songs over here. We want to put them on our own playlist. We want to put them someplace else to try to recoup some of this money back. So you went out, you did the Carolina kind and did that just kind of rejuvenate you again and get you fired up or what? It did. And it, it also kind of stirred a little bit of interest in town. Um, I, that was very well received, you know, on a, local Nashville music scene level. Um, it was uh, Chad Carlson, our friend Chad produced yeah. it. Um, there was five song EP and it was kind of a statement of like, Hey, I'm not going anywhere. This is what sure. I do. This is who I am. It's what I do. I'm doing it. Um, and by myself. So, I mean, it was very, you know, it was what I could do by myself. And so I continued to play shows. I ended up singing background for Randy Hauser. I got a new publishing deal eventually. And all those songs that I kept my publishing turned into a schedule A, which is the, you know, the catalog of songs that you can bring into a publishing company. Right. So they have stuff um, to start working immediately and they don't have to that's wait, right. right? That's right. Um, and so, and then I ended up, you know, a co-writer, Jerry House was a huge fan of mine and sure. became a friend and a co-writer. And he helped me set up a meeting over at Capitol. And I mean, I can't believe some of the things I did by myself, Rick. Like I just went into Mike Dungan and was like, what's up? I'm looking for yeah. a record deal. Let me play you some songs with nobody with me. Like, sure. and you know, it didn't work. And for, maybe for a lot of no, reasons. But you know but, what it did for you internally? Yes. It may not have gotten the result that you were hoping for, but for you to grow as a person mm -hmm. and an artist. Oh yeah. It worked. I mean, it, totally you're a stronger person today because you didn't have to have your hand held and walk in because you went in and like, yo, what's up? Here I am. Yeah. You know, so yeah. <laughs> in life, I want you to understand that there are certain things that we not we may not be able to see the power and what's happening at that moment, because going back to what Lauren said earlier, we didn't get the prize. We didn't walk in, but when you can walk out with confidence, that's something you take with you for the rest of your life. Yeah. That's something that you're able to sit there and go, you know what, no matter what they throw at me, I got it. And that's a trait that I wish more people would learn. Most people are scared to walk into those situations. Most people are fearful of those situations, but you are a stronger person today and for full disclosure, you know, I, I work with Lauren now uh, on a coaching basis. The things that I'm seeing her do, most artists won't do. The things that I'm seeing her do, most artists will wait till the right time. She just kind of takes the bull by the horn, you know, and that's one of the things that I find very intriguing. When did you start getting this whole mindset of a DIY musician now? You know what? I'm going to be independent. There's obviously things that the record company did for me and the publishing company did for me. And now I'm going to have to do these myself. When did you start searching for podcasts and 
end up back in my world? Because I was very surprised the first time I looked over and saw that you were on one of my training webinars and I saw the name and I'm like, there is no other Lauren Lucas. <laughs> and then I emailed you afterwards. I'm like, is this you? You know, It was like, I saw your name show up. Is this really you? When did the whole DIY thing set in for you and you just say, hey, I am the record company. I am the publishing company. I am my manager. When did that all, that light bulb just, or that light switch go off for you? So I guess a few more things had happened as far as music. I, had, I ended up releasing a second independent EP. I was starting to book myself and um, just, again, I, doing whatever I could do myself. Um, and, and then I took about a three-year hiatus from music. Um, I, well, I ended up also getting a second, well, I went through a divorce. I ended up needing some real civilian jobs, as I call them, to make ends meet. Ended up getting another publishing deal. So this is now my third publishing deal. Um, getting some cuts, getting um, some TV film placements with that publisher. And then when that contract ended, I was going through a divorce and was like, I just don't think I have the energy to pitch myself again right maybe ever but definitely right now <laughs> and so i ended up getting I, I became a certified dale carnegie uh, instructor and sales consultant and started selling leadership programs and leading them and doing public speaking and sales training and i thought maybe that was going to be a new career path for me because i was good at it sure um and i loved the culture i mean oh my gosh that was a great culture um and then a band I had auditioned for a few years prior and did not get the, the position called out of the blue and said, uh, you want to be in the band? Someone's leaving and we need we need someone. And I remember I had just gotten remarried, literally like just gotten remarried. And I looked over at my husband and was like, um, this is the stupidest thing I could possibly do with my life. <laughs> and I really want to. And he is like the most supportive person ever sure. and is very much about like, listen to whatever is really your heart saying kind of thing and was very supportive. So I literally got off of a plane from our honeymoon and woke up the next morning. I got on a plane for radio tour because they were signed with an indie label. So now I'm getting the perspective of an indie label in town. That was that was very short lived. And so then we ended up being completely indie and grassroots ourselves. And that experience and somehow being together in it and like we all took little jobs and like we were just kind of our own little motor you know <clears throat> that taught me so much and it also taught me that when i'm with a team and with a collaboration somehow i can do things for the team that i was never willing to do for myself before wow and it um i'm not exactly sure why that is still but i have sustained that for myself now that I'm not in that band any longer. I decided to get off the road. I wanted, it's taken me forever to decide I wanted a family, but I finally decided I did. And so um, for a variety of reasons, I wanted to get off the road. We were touring over a hundred dates a year, plus the travel on either side. I mean, I was never yeah. home. Right. Um, we were actually making a pretty good living, decent living. Of course, we were splitting it four ways, but we, um, we ended up getting with a, a booking agency that had a kind of a non-traditional theater performing uh, 
performing arts center uh, model. Right. And so we were actually making some money on the road, but that was the only way we were making it was touring our butts off. And I just couldn't do that as much. So I I left the band. um, What was the name of that band? uh, Farewell Angelina. Oh yeah. I'm very familiar. Yeah. Okay. And so um, then I kind of took another couple of years of, of kind of just, I don't know what I was doing, honestly, just um, writing a little bit. I did go in the studio with a friend of mine and I recorded a Christmas EP and about four singles and not knowing anything about a Spotify strategy at all. I just kind of threw it all out there with weird timing and whatever. But I, but I will admit at that time, what was most important to me was that these were songs that were important to me and I just wanted them to live in the world. That, that was that was kind of my big goal for that. And I, I was just needing some time to regroup. We had some pregnancy and fertility problems, finally got pregnant, had the baby uh, March 24th of 2020. So if you remember what was happening right That's then, right. COVID before baby. lockdown, he was preemie, spent some NICU time, and then, you know, 2020 happened. What also happened in 2020 is I found Chris Bradley's Produce Like a Boss. And I have been struggling with Pro Tools for years and years. And she uses Logic and it was, her product is great. First of all, her coaching method and the way it's set up is so easy to follow. It's, she's phenomenal at what she does. And Logic is so much more intuitive than Pro Tools. I started producing myself and thinking about a TV film path since I then had all these tools to make music, you know? Absolutely. So, but then I think it was through Chris, through maybe one of her podcasts or something, I reconnected with you. And I remember watching some of your trainings and you suggested the voice feature on the uh, DMs on Instagram. And I remember voice texting you and I was like, I don't know if you remember me, from years and years ago, but I'm, I've never done this before. I'm using this feature because you talk about it. And I don't remember what I said, but just, hey. Yeah, I responded back. <laughs> yeah, you did. Yeah, I responded back. So yes, that's awesome. That's awesome. That's kind of how this latest leg of the journey has happened. It was really 2020, which is crazy. I mean, during the pandemic. Well, and one of the things that I think that's key there is you started investing in yourself to get the tools that you needed to be self-sufficient. And a lot of people won't do that. They're still sitting around waiting for someone to come and rescue them and, and do everything for them. And you've kind of gone in a completely different direction. I mean, you invested in Chris's program. You've invested in, in some of my things. Uh, I've made recommendations. You've invested in, in a lot of different things. And now I'm excited to say that you have invested in podcasting. So (laughs) you had said you're a big fan of podcasting. Tell us a little bit about the idea of your podcast, how it came about. And I want to make sure everyone listening to this goes and subscribes and listens to your podcast because it has a very unique spin on it. Hmm. Well, I guess it was last, well, last year, 2022 in the summer, I, I follow an influencer uh, living with Landon is her handle. And um, I just, you know, it's, she's not for everybody. She's a middle-aged woman who talks about recipes and life and whatever. And I love her. Like she just, she's someone I always follow. And she was going to Africa for a few weeks and decided, brilliant strategy, by the way, 
uh, from a marketing point of view, she was asking her followers if anyone wanted, she was going to be completely off the grid on a safari. So wanted to see if her followers wanted to take over her Instagram. And she gave like a form, like an audition process. And if you were interested, you auditioned. And I thought, that sounds kind of fun. Like, I think that sounds interesting. I, whatever, what the heck, I'm just going to do it. And so um, I auditioned and all of a sudden I started, I started seeing these people kind of roll out. She went to Africa and I didn't hear anything and people started taking over. And I was like, oh, I guess I didn't get that. And then I realized they were only letting you know with like 48 hours advance notice. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> I get the email and it's like, um, hey, in the next 24 hours, can you film these certain things that you do in your life? And then here's some other ideas of some things and like just send it all to us in a Dropbox and blah, 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 blah. Well, first of all, I learned how much freaking work an influencer actually is. <laughs> I mean, it's a lot of work. Um, I also got to see kind of a workflow behind the scenes, which was cool. Um, so I did that. And that might sound like a strange thing, how the podcast got started, but I ended up getting a slew of new followers because her halo effect is real. Sure. I mean, I got to see what that really is. And... I got all these new friends and then I started getting DMs because of the things I'd share. I took them behind the scenes, a day in the life of a professional songwriter. Um, I'm also a professor well, an instructor of songwriting now at my alma mater, Belmont University. So, you know, I'm, I'm sharing things about my music and what I do professionally. Um, but I also shared about books that have changed my life coaches and therapists and workout classes and wellness coaches. I'm, I, I have lots of coaches in my life. I'm a big believer in that. And, and I need that support team for myself. And so I talked about some things that were truly transformational in my life that had nothing to do with music. And that's actually what really struck a nerve with people. And I started getting DMs of, of mostly women going, how did you build, you, you seem to have built community around yourself so well. How did you do that? How did I'm lonely. I've moved to a new town. How, you know, just asking me some advice around this kind of transformational personal growth piece, which has become such a huge part of my life in the last 12 years or so. Sure. And I just, it got me excited. I love talking about that. I loved sharing about other people during that segment of that takeover. Um, and at the time I was working with another marketing coach that you recommended and have had on your show, um, EG. Uh, and I told her, I was like, I think I want to start like an Instagram live series. And she's sure. like, why don't you do it on YouTube? And so she kind of helped me formulate like the ideas and, or just help me take my ideas and put them in some kind of palatable thing. And then I was like, well, I also loved sharing my guacamole recipe on that takeover. So I think I want it to be like food related somehow. Like I just had all these <laughs> ideas and I'm trying to put it under one umbrella. So. Here's what it is. Now it's called the happiest hour because it's better than happy hour, but it's like happy hour in that right. you are having great conversation, but not superficial, like, like really with your best friend, like deep, meaningful, what's making us tick conversation. Sure. I'm interviewing people who inspire me in the realms of music, film, entrepreneurship, wellness. Um, and it's really all about them. I'm interviewing them. We're having deep conversation. And then we pair two recipes with every episode, uh, like a, a beverage, sometimes alcoholic, sometimes not, and like a, an easy weekend recipe or dessert. 
And awesome. so it's the happiest hour. And I, um, I wrote and recorded a little theme song for it. Of course you did. Um, you know a songwriter. You know a producer. Right. Yeah. Not, right? And a, a lot of my guests are, like my first two guests um, were Whitney Duncan, who, if, if people aren't familiar with Whitney, she was on Warner Brothers. As I was leaving, Whitney was being signed. Yeah. Um, she was recently on the Luke Bryan Farm Tour in the last two years. She's also a reality TV star. She's been on Survivor. She's been on The Amazing Race. She was on Nashville Star. She's been on Say Yes to the Dress. Um, and then Jenny Gill, who uh, is a beautiful woman, songwriter, hilarious, like comedian level funny. Um, she also happens to be the daughter of country music royalty, Vince Gill, and the stepdaughter of Amy Grant. Um, and she has her budding film career happening uh, behind the scenes as a director and producer. So a lot of my guests are people that I've grown up, you know, in this town, making music with, admiring, right. listening to, and that. Um, and then I have my own personal wellness coaches um, and fitness instructors that I love. And just, again, people who've been transformational for me. So what's key with this and what's something I want people to understand is that you've been able to incorporate the other interest in your life. You're not steering away from your music. The music's being presented in a different way. And this is something I want you guys to understand is there are other opportunities besides having to be on stage, having to be on the biggest playlist that you're able to incorporate your music into the world. But more importantly, is you're able to incorporate your relatability into the world because people want to hang out with people they feel they relate to. There's no shortage of artists that's just trying to sh shove music down their throats all day long. But when all of a sudden they come to a, a young mother, uh, inspiring female, an artist, someone who I don't want to use the word struggle, but is sharing her struggles because we all have them, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, Two and a half hours from now, I will be with a trainer. You know, it's like we all go through these things in life. I share with you guys my sobriety. I share with you the coaches that I have. It's like there's more than we can do to talk about. There's more for us to talk about than just ourselves that other people can relate to. And I think when you bring them in, whether you're a fan of Marvel or whether you're a, a fan of Ozark or whether you're a fan of food trucks or crazy exotic whatever there is an audience out there that will be more willing to allow us to drop the music on them and get the stories behind the songs when they feel that we have some form of connection and that's the thing that I honor you for is you're going out making a connection with your people you have determined I am not for everyone, like you said about the person's podcast, but for the people that I am for, I'm going to put myself out there because I want to build this community of people that not only can relate to me, but I can relate with because the more I know about them, the more I can continue to provide quality content. And when feasible, I'm able to maneuver my music in there. And I'm just so excited to see what 2023 brings for you. You know, I, I think that you have laid down such a solid foundation. And what's more important for me is that you are very coachable. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of people that think they're coachable and then nothing happens because they fight it, you know, but you're open to try things. You're not afraid to ask questions. 
you're willing. I always tell people weird wins because most people aren't willing to do weird. And Taylor and I were as weird as it gets. You know, hey, let's go stand out after a concert and sign autographs for three and a half hours while the rest of the artists are backstage drinking. And at catering, we were out meeting people and they're like, those those people are weird. Well, her bank account got very weird. (laughs) (laughs) She's still kind of doing that to this day. She's doing, hey, I'm going to drop a record. Okay, great. I'll drop another one three hours later for those that are up that just listen to the first one. I'm like, who thinks of stuff like that? Yeah. You know, and and didn't warn anybody that it was coming. It's just if you happen to be awake at 3 a.m., you were delivered 3 a.m. after midnight came out. I mean, it it was like crazy, crazy stuff. So 2023, you've got new music. You've got the podcast. Where do you want people to connect with you? I'm going to make sure that the links are are below this. Uh, Some people don't go to show notes. So where's the easiest place for them to find you where they can follow your podcast, flow with you on Instagram, all those things. What's the easiest place for them to find you? I would say laurenlucas.com. Perfect uh, answer from somebody who's coached by me. Okay, yeah. <laughs> when you show the up. website, the house that's you it. own. Yeah. That's it. When you show up, you can find the podcast on one of the top tabs. You'll also see a little pop-up that's going to um, invite you to, if you if you like free music or, or if you just want to like um, hack you know, uh, reverse engineer marketing stuff that that I've learned from from you and EG and other people sure. like, you know, then take a then take a look, I, I offer some free music, you can sign up for that and join me in my community and my world, you can find the podcast. And you go live a lot. Bottom. You go live a lot, don't you? I do. I go live sometimes on Instagram. Um, I started my own um, fa- private Facebook group. And we're super tight knit there. Like, and let me also say, some of my fans who are now more like friends have been following me since my Warner. They found me when my single came out Warner. I mean, like that's how long some people have been in my world. And I know, I know their families. I know, you know, their losses. They've lost family members when they lost jobs, when they've gotten sober. I mean, like we know things about each other. It's, sure. it's been, and really thanks to you, it, it, your encouragement on that is is really why I started that group and I didn't know if I even had enough people to do that but I I did and and the quality is what I right. had and that that's also you know super important so to wrap this up what advice would you give to that independent artist that's on the fence and struggling with the fact that I'm having to do this by myself hmm and I didn't prepare you with that question. I no. just kind of dropped it on you. But what I advice would you advice give? Because I, I have no, <laughs> I don't know. Um, no, let me, let me think about this for a second. <clears throat> you've done it. You went from signed to independent and you didn't give up and you had a chance to go down another career path and it, music, you've always been led back to the music. Mm-hmm. So if someone said, Lauren, here's my friend, and they're struggling with whether they should continue or not, what would you say to them? It really, you do have to get very real with yourself and determine, is this who you are anyway? Is Are you going to do this anyway in some facet? Or are you only interested in 10,000 plus followers, so much money in your bank account, because if this is, if you determine this is who you are anyway, 
then may as well do things that benefit you and get you a little further ahead and try to find the things that truly light you up about it. Like I had to have a really big mental shift around social media marketing because it can be draining and icky. But then, and partly because of this Instagram takeover I did this past summer for that influencer, is I was like, oh, what if I didn't care so much about what I put up on my social and just started having fun experimenting with how I could connect with people? And that, that shift, I'm having a blast. It's like I'm putting stupid stuff up there sometimes, and occasionally I will get a troll who's like, well, that was a waste of my 15 seconds. And I actually agree with them. I'm like, yeah, that probably wasn't my best work, but I just was trying something. And so it doesn't bother me. And so just try to find the things that light you up if this is what you're going to do anyway. And follow that. Like, it really is follow your bliss. Like, do the things that feel aligned and good to you. Get help for the things that don't. And it'll all start to come together. And whether you're signed to a label or not, it takes way longer than you ever anticipate to start getting kind of a momentum and a critical mass, if you will. If I had stayed at Warner Brothers another five years, maybe I would have had another single and maybe it would have, but I mean, it just, no matter which path you go, it, it takes, it just takes, it just takes time. Sure. I love that. Follow the bliss. That's going to be our <laughs> hashtag. Follow the bliss. Thank you so much. Once again, laurenlucas.com. L-A-U-R-E-N-L-U-C-A-S.com. And I just, I'm so proud of you. I'm excited to be on this journey with you. And I can't wait for more people to join this journey with you as well. Thanks, Rick. I really appreciate it. This was fun.